0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile of the podcast. This is episode 141 called Terra B. Today's episode is brought to you by Belly, prenatal vitamins that help get your body the healthiest it can be to welcome a new little life. Belly's vitamins are formulated to optimize fertility and prenatal health for men and women through all stages of pregnancy, from conception through to post-pregnancy. Belly's revolutionary science-based formulation fuels your fertility to help support egg quality, promote hormonal balance, and increase your overall fertility health. Belly for men prenatals are specially formulated with clinically proven nutrients optimized to help increase sperm count, help improve sperm morphology and motility, and boost overall fertility. To get started with belly, go to bellybaby.com and use code Allie15 for 15% off your first month of either belly women or belly men. Again, it's BellyBaby, B-E-L-I-B-A-B-Y.com, and use code ali 15 ali 15 for 15% off. Thanks, Belly. I'm so excited to tell you guys about the sponsor for today's episode, BIOS Fertility Institute. BIOS is a different fertility clinic experience built on a foundation of patient-centered care, evidence-based medicine, and innovative technology. With clinic locations throughout the country and patients from around the globe, the Bios Fertility Institute team understands the challenges of infertility. Their physicians are board certified and fellowship trained reproductive endocrinologists and infertility specialists with a passion for helping patients realize their dreams of parenthood. As a patient, you'll notice the difference from your very first phone call to the team celebration of your positive pregnancy test and everything in between. Bios prides itself on its individualized patient plans that are best suited for your emotional, physical, and financial needs. The organization is committed to their patients and the fertility community in general, and to that end, offers great resources and education on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and other social media channels. Look for Bios Fertility, as well as a patient-centered blog on their website at biosfertility.com. To learn more about Vios Fertility Institute, take advantage of that high-quality, incredible education and fertility information, or to schedule your first appointment, visit ViosFertility.com. That's V-I-O-S-F-E-R-T-I-L-I-T-Y.com. Thanks, Vios. Okay, guys. So today's guest, Tara Brandner, is a nurse practitioner and an infertility warrior turned full-time fertility coach. And like so many of you guys, she has endured a long road through infertility, followed by treatments and a very traumatic pregnancy. And today she's going to tell us all about it. Also, 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 Tara has such a big heart. She is giving away a free 60-minute coaching session with her. So head over to my Instagram, which is at Stories. And you can find out all the details. And she has such a big heart. She really wants to help people. That's why she's telling her story. That's why she's giving away a session. And that's one of the reasons I adore her. So, without further ado, this is Tara's infertility story. Tara, it's so good to talk to you. How are you girl? Good. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you. You had me on your show not too long ago. And then we lined up this one too. So it's, it's so great to just share each other's stories and get to know each other better and like reach out to the community. So thank you for doing this.
1: Um, Absolutely. So
0: let's start. We're going to talk about what you do now and everything, but let's start at the beginning. Did you
1: always want to have kids? You know, I did, and it wasn't this like burning passion though of mine, because I was very goal oriented I was a nurse. Actually, I was in nursing school when I met my husband, and if there's any nurses listening, you know how rigorous that can be. And so then I knew from day one of being in nursing school, because I came from an area where nurse practitioners were key in the community. I knew and I knew going forward into my career that I had many years of schooling ahead of me. And there was really no reason to indicate or think that I would have issues starting my family. And so it was just full speed ahead. Let's do school, get that doctorate degree and do that phase of life because I knew I was not someone who could balance family and school. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it in a well, I definitely knew I could not do it. I went through life. And so I just knew that, that I was gonna do school and career first and then move into having a family and starting that journey. And that was when we realized something wasn't wasn't right, wasn't working.
0: Yeah. So were you not getting pregnant or had you had a loss or like what was going on specifically?
1: So, I always say we were like, oh, we did what everybody does, you know, try, you know, we're going to try on our own because there was no reason indicating that it wouldn't work. And so, about eight months in of trying, we experienced a miscarriage at seven weeks. And it's hard for me to even like explain because most men, I think, are like black and white. Let's just do what we're told. Let's go for this. Like, and so there was no time for grieving during that time. I felt very, in a, I felt a rut. I was in a rut for about two months. So we kept trying, had the miscarriage, you know, and I kind of suppressed a lot of feelings. Fast forward two months, we keep trying and I'm noticing this like emotional like unsettled feeling about this loss. And then my medical brain's kicking it at the same time too. Cause I'm like, there, why did I have a miscarriage? There's nothing, you know, no family. And not that family history necessarily matters, but I was just trying to rack through my brain every possible thing. There's no family history of miscarriage. And so I went to my OBGYN's office. Now I did not get my OBGYN. I got her physician's assistant And I was met with resistance and I had said, I'm concerned. We are now at a year, almost, it was pretty much a year at that point because we had continued trying after the miscarriage. We had a miscarriage, like what's going on? What do you recommend? Her words to me were, well, because you live so far, we live 120 miles one way from our OBGYN's office. We are in rural North Dakota. Oh my God. Yeah. But to us, it's not a big deal. Like that's just like part of commuting. Mm-hmm. That's it's so
0: awesome like, that you're yeah. so like in such an interesting place to live. Yeah,
1: it is. It's just kind of like, okay, you know, you can go 75 miles that way, but you don't have that, you know, for healthcare services or stores or shopping, but you can go 120 miles and you have all the things. So, and so we had just known when we started our journey to conceive, I of course, wanted to be someplace, not expecting that I would need it, but where there was a NICU, you know, should you become pregnant? I want to be in a, a hospital that has access to a whole, you know, healthcare team right away. So, and she's like, well, you know, if you start any other treatments, like if you want to do some oral medications or IUIs, you're going to have to travel 120 miles. So why don't you just wait till you're crazy enough and then you can come and we can start the conversation. And oh my she gosh, she's, me, did she say that? literally said to me, when you're crazy enough, Wow. little did she know I had recently because I caught myself. So it was two months after the miscarriage, I caught some emotional stuff and I had already made a counseling appointment because I knew I was not, I I felt a shift into a not healthy mental space. She made that comment to me and I instantly, that was, that was when I hit my point. It was Mm -hmm. that phone conversation. I contacted my OB directly and she was kind enough to call me on a Sunday and that was a Friday. And then she called me on a Sunday and she's like, you are done here. We are shifting clinics. It is time for you to move to a reproductive endocrinologist. So that may of 2015 is when we started our actual workup with reproductive at our first clinic and was introduced to that whole reproductive endocrinology world
0: mm-hmm. so what were that what did they tell you when you went in for that first appointment were they able to diagnose or was it still just like lots of questions
1: so at that point I was diagnosed with unexplained infertility
0: right which isn't and really even a diagnosis it's like we just can't figure literally it out isn't. <laughs> right.
1: okay here's the deal I diagnose people every day of my nurse practitioner life I can't give them unexplained you know insert whatever system or disease like I just can't do that that's yeah. just like So to me, it's super frustrating to be like, sorry, I don't don't know know. what's going on with you, but yeah, let's just throw spaghetti on the wall and try this. Like, that's just like, I don't get to do that with any other disease that I work with. I mean, Mm -hmm. of course you try medications and things, but you have a solid diagnosis. There's something that indicates there is a disease or something going on Mm -hmm. with other systems.
0: (laughs) Right. Totally.
1: And let's not we'll get into this, but let's not talk about the insurance coverage aspect of this whole frustration. Yeah. Part too. I know so
0: many people listening right now have been told they have unexplained infertility. And it's like, that doesn't fucking help me. <laughs> like,
1: No. What, what do it, I do next? I don't want to say it makes it worse, but it's like another level of mush to like. Mm-hmm. So started with the reproductive clinic. They call it unexplained. They decide because of costs and just some other, you know, situate, like just other things. She's like, let's just do IUI instead of oral medication. So we jumped in to oral medicated with our first clinic and that. So June uh, was our first round. We did femera trigger shot failed. And I was like, okay. You know, at that point I was kind of like, all right, let's go next, you know, next round. Right. So round two, July, IUI number two, Femera sugar shot failed. And I'm like, okay, we got to change something up here. like, mm-hmm. And I advocated because that that's just in me. And this is where I get very, like, I encourage everybody to just advocate, advocate, advocate. If something doesn't feel right at any point in your treatment, advocate for a change. So I was like, there's got to be a change up here. I'm not okay with continuing with this current protocol that we're on. Mm -hmm. So August, 2016. Now the one thing I did not like about my first clinic was I never got this. I had picked a doctor, saw her the first time and never saw her again. Other than one other time I saw the other doctors or other providers. And I didn't realize how much that bothered me till round three of August. So I feel like I could write an entire chapter of a book based on August of 2016. I think I said 2015 earlier, but it's we started in 2015. We moved into treatment in 2016.
0: Right. Like what year is it anyway? Who cares? Right.
1: I don't even know. <laughs> like, I you know what's funny? Like I had this timeline in front of me, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is kind of triggering looking at this, but
0: <laughs> I know. I said it was 2012 the other day when I was talking to someone. They're like, What? And I was like, oh wait,
1: 2021. Okay, sorry. Just bear with me with the numbers, right? Sure. <laughs> so I advocated for changing the protocol so they added gonal f and so when i jumped on the telemedicine call this telemedicine was actually happening back then already because they i was in a different i went to a facility where i could do telemedicine and some monitoring with them and they're like hey Kristen, how you doing and i was like my name's tara they (laughs) had the wrong chart in front of (laughs) of them And I was like, "Oh, here we go. Okay, shake it off. Off it to again. a good start. Off to a good start.
0: Okay, right.
1: so we're gonna add gone a laugh, and he's the doctor. So we change do the protocol, do the stuff. Okay, time comes another appointment for this round. You know, before we are about ready to start the medication, and this new doctor, so another doctor, not the first one." says we're going to send Donald F down to your pharmacy I was like no don't they won't be able to get it in like I'm in rural North Dakota I send scripts there all the time as a professional trust me they can't get this one in oh yes yes you have two days they'll be able to get it in. I go no I promise they can't he's like arguing with me Mm -hmm. and so he sends it there anyway okay so I drive 90 miles home go to the pharmacy Double check. And they're like, Tara, we can't get this. And it's a specialty. It's going to take, you know, blah blah. I was like, I knew it. So it's now, I think three in the afternoon. And they're like, we'll just send it back up to the town you came from. We checked. They have some on hand. All right. Jump back in the car, drive 90 miles again. And so Drive back to this community again, get to the pharmacy. It's like 10 to five. I specifically remember this. Mm -hmm. And he's like, we have the cartridges, like the like the pen, like the pack of pens, but we don't have the medication. He's like, that's a specialty medication. We have to, you know, five o'clock. I need this med in like two days. Mm -hmm. So he goes, there's a there's a specialty pharmacy. We'll send it to you, you know, have it shipped there. They'll send it overnight to your home. Okay. Frustrated at this point because of the driving, whatever, here we go. So get the medication doing the things time for trigger shots. This is all IUI number three. Still, it's 10 o'clock at night. Actually, once again, remember the exact time. Ten twenty was my trigger shot time mm-hmm. and the tornado siren goes off. Oh my God. And I'm like, okay well my husband and I fun fact are just scared of we're both scared of tornadoes and our house actually has like a legit cellar in it and so mm-hmm. we're like all right shoes on he grabs a blanket oh my gosh okay I grab the trigger so I was like just leave it Tara I'm like uh, no no I will not just leave it like mm-hmm. first of all the chance of a tornado actually being out there is probably pretty slim I was like we're we're doing this so it is 10, 20 PM in the tornado cellar and I'm giving my trigger shot. So at whatever we're done. So in the meat, like midst of all of this, I do call work. So I work in a rural healthcare facility. I do clinic, hospital, ER, nurse, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. We are short providers. So I am struggling to find somebody to cover my shift for this entire third round, every appointment to, and there's a traveler locum provider here. And I'm like, this is where I have to actually, for the first time, tell a complete stranger what I'm going through in order to ask him if he can cover my shift for me and right. stay a little bit longer. Yeah. And this sweetest, sweetest gentleman, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do it. You know, I have to like pep yourself up. Like I need this off, but like, I think like I'm going to vomit because I have to tell a complete stranger what we're going through. And he puts his arm on my shoulder and he says, Tara, my daughter went through IVF. He's like, you take as much time as you need. I will stay here for you. And it was like, I I get like goose talking about it, but it was just like, whoa, like if you open up and just talk, Tara, like it's okay. It's fine. Like, right.
0: It's so funny how you have these connections to people that you never thought you would have been connected to when you're going through something like this.
1: No. And a funny connection about this particular doctor and we'll get to later in my story, but he travels to a bunch of different facilities around here and he ended up caring for me when I did become pregnant, but had a bleed and had to get life flighted out. So he's the same doctor that ended up caring for me in that time, stayed in touch and shared pictures and all the things, but Mm -hmm. it it truly, is like the connections and the barriers that come down with just a little, I need right. help. I Absolutely, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So, so what happened next?
1: <laughs> tornado siren gave the shot, go to do the IUI. And my husband and I are literally laying there and we're like, yeah, this is done. Like, this is jacked. This is stupid. Like, what are we even doing here? Like we literally laid there and we were just shook our head. Like we just jinxed the whole thing mm. day one. I feel like it was just done defeated.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So here walks in a student with, the, and I'm all about students. Cause you know, that's been my name of the game for nine years of my career was, you know, getting in on patient cases and being that student. And she gets, and they use metal speculums and there's something cringy as I'm talking about a metal speculum versus a plastic one, like nails mm-hmm. on the chalkboard for me. And she cannot get my cervix. This is not uncommon. So I'm like, but I'm really full and heavy from that gone left. And she is just digging. And my husband can tell in my face. And I'm just, he goes, ma'am, can you just let the doctor do it? Like he steps in. and oh my like, God. Like, can you, we understand you're a student, but can you just let the doctor do it? hmm And it's funny
0: how you remember all these little specific things, right. right? That, that like are seared into your brain
1: just forever. Like the times, as I'm mm-hmm. talking about it here today, I'm like, yeah, it literally was 10 20 and it was literally 10 minutes to five. Like mm-hmm. it was just this like time. Yeah. They're stamped in your head. And so did the whole lay it there. And we just were like, okay, whatever happens happens, but we know this isn't working. And we we're, we're, we decided laying on the table, third IUI, we are taking a break because mm-hmm. it just got to a point of, you know, the travel and this doesn't work, and it just didn't feel like this was this was going to be continued, and so um, we in the meantime at my place of work, just the work that I do, I interact with patient families at various stages of their life, and I was introduced, and lo and behold, he was went to high school with my parents, a embryologist, and mm-hmm. it was after that you know time, and he said you know. Tara, have you looked at this website, SART.org? And he, I was like, what are you talking about? What is this website? And he really took, he took hours with us Mm -hmm. and explained infertility, IVF, uh, statistics of clinics, what makes clinics stand apart, Mm -hmm. things you should know. You know, and he goes, you know, I'm glad you did that third IUI, but you should maybe consider, you know, a second opinion. And he works for one of the top reproductive clinics in the country Mm -hmm. and he's from my little town in North Dakota. And it's just, I'm like, yeah, don't let space or where you're from really define what you can do. Right. (laughs) And so I, uh, that was in, um, August, we failed our third and final IUI took a timeout break. I had been previously selected to do a month long health policy fellowship in Washington DC with the American Association of Nurse Practitioners so it was perfect timing to just step away little did i know how that would play a role in my future mm-hmm. but um we did in the meantime plan to do a uh, appointment with a new clinic new reproductive endocrinologist that october when i came back from that mm-hmm. and we did so we switched clinics and moved into ivf and it was at that new appointment he goes Tara, I was really digging through your chart, you know, cause I had sensed from multiple clinics, which I thought I had did the first time. I, to this day, have no clue, but he's like, you had endometriosis when you were 20 years old and they had a cyst in the laparoscopic procedure. And I was like, well, I remember that, but I had this like procedure and the cyst and it was no big deal. We drained it, carry on. Like, Mm-hmm. never was told anything else. He's like, it shows on here. You have endometriosis. I was like, nice. Okay. Didn't even know that was on there. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until wow. then that I found out I actually have endometriosis. And now that I know, you know, back then, even the more I learned about endo, I was like I have, my mom has it. My sister has it like, right. Duh, duh this is what I have. And So we decided to move forward with IVF. We also decided to move forward with Depolupron. So that is a monthly shot that I did for my endometriosis for two months prior to even, it was put in my protocol from early on before we even decided to do a transfer. And I feel like it was my magic dust. I talk about Depolupron as much as I can. There's some studies actually going on, research studies, comparing um, depolupron with an oral mm-hmm. medication called Orlissa. And so there's just more coming out on endometriosis and infertility as well. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So we just move forward IVF, retrieval that January of the new year of 2017. And I just felt, well, first of all, they knew my name. It was not Kristen. <laughs> but- <laughs> That's essential. That's essential that that was checked, but it just had this whole new vibe to it. Like I didn't have to question my doctors or what was going on or second guess anything. I knew where my meds were coming from. There was just I felt like and for me and maybe any medical personnel listening, Mm -hmm. it's super hard to turn that off. And. I felt like I could be a patient for once. I didn't have to second guess everything. And so I think it's really important for anyone and everyone to feel like they can fully 100% trust their, their doctor and their clinic. But especially when you have this like little other voice on your shoulder, second guessing stuff medically, right. To find a place where you can just shut that off. And I had finally found it. Mm -hmm. And that's so
0: important. And for people listening, yeah, just like the self-advocating, getting arming yourself with as much education and information as you can. And, you know, with so much on Instagram right now, and, you know, such a big community, I feel like it's, it's easier than ever to connect to people that are specific to what you're going through, which is great.
1: Absolutely. And I thought, I will confess, I was on Facebook groups, you know, in the midst of all of this and comparing, 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 like even I did that. So to right. know if you're doing that, it's normal. Right. But we don't, there's other things we can do to help shift you away from having to do that and having to like be your own medical provider essentially, and trying to figure out all the things I know there's other ways we can view other than that.
0: (laughs) Definitely. It's hard not to compare sometimes it's totally normal, but yeah, it's, if you can avoid going down that spiral of like, well, her numbers were this and mine was this, you know, that's, I feel like sometimes it just gets you, you get in your own head too much. And, you know, it starts to go down like at this spiral of anxiety and all that.
1: hundred percent. And it was actually when I found Instagram for the first time was right around this time. I used the hashtag or clinic. I don't know if I can say what clinic, but I was like hashtag clinic name. And um, that was how I found one and then two. And it like shifted from there. People who had been going to that same clinic And we were kind of on the same track for treatment. And so as I went travel to out of state to go there, we met up for supper. And like, that was where my first in, you know, human interaction happened because Mm -hmm. I was not open about this. I live in a small town where we just don't talk about intimate or personal things as a community culture, if that's how you want to refer to it as. And I did open up about it at the end of my third IUI. Like when I said, I had to tell that other doctor what I was going through. And then I opened up to my six person clinic and my secretary was going through almost the same treatment. I was at the same time Mm -hmm. having miscarriages. We were both silent and quiet about it. So not only did I him as a support person, but I got her and, and it was like, With us both going through it, the clinic shifted and was more open and receptive and supportive about it as well. It was like I got a new support system after that failed third IUI, but it was really lonely up until the point going through miscarriage, going through failed treatment, stuffing it, swallowing it. And in fact, I did open up to another provider about it earlier round two, and I was met with a comment you going through treatment is really inconvenient to our schedule. And so that made me suppress. I forgot all about that till I started rambling here, but I was met with resistance because we were short staffed and it it was a lot of time away because of the travel. Mm -hmm. The closest facility for me to get my uh, monitoring done was 90 miles away. Most were 120. The clinic was 220 miles away. So it was not only... You know, time, quick run, go do your thing, come back. No, it was days that I had to take off. Right. And I was met with, I wish you weren't, you know, that's really inconvenient that you're going through a treatment because it's hindering our our schedule. Well, wow. Sorry. Thanks. Sorry. So <laughs> between that, between being called when you're crazy enough, that mm-hmm. it's like, no wonder people don't talk about it. And I'm, I know. Once, if you know me personally, I'm pretty darn open about all of this now. So for me to not even be open about it, goes to show how isolating this whole experience can be. And it takes one comment from one person right. to shut you down to clam and up. stop yeah. you from sharing.
0: Yep. Right. Absolutely. Done. So true.
1: So we move in January, new year, start IVF. So our egg retrieval, um, we had endometriosis. They, they looked at me. They didn't put me on a, a really high protocol. It was like 17 eggs retrieved. Um, I believe 11 fertilized, we did do genetic testing. So we had six cent for that, came out with two healthy embryos, a boy and a girl, because that was the time where they were just starting. I remember to tell you gender, we were like, it must've been like that new year, 2017. We we're going to start telling people genders if they mm-hmm. wanted. Right. So we knew the genders of our embryo. And at that point we were told, you know, prior to that, we would only do one embryo transfer. And then we re met with him after my two months of Depolupron. So I did the Depolupron in January and February of that year, which, wow, let's have a whole session on the side effects of that. Like, once again, I would do it all over again because I swear it was a magic dust. I just wish I would have more that I was literally going to go into menopause. Every symptom of menopause I was in for two months oh, depression, anxiety, ear loss, tough. night sweats, skin changes. Right, right, right. Oof. So I always tell my, patients that are in menopause, I actually know what you're going through. And they're like, what? No, you don't. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I actually do. I was in it for two months. (laughs) So we did our met again, you know, regroup April. And he's like, I really feel you guys should just transfer both. It's not worth, you know, because of the grading and I have the grades and all those magic numbers tucked away just because that was kind of triggering for me, but met with, I actually met not only with our doctor, but our friend who's an embryologist. he was there for the retrieval. He was there for the transfer. He was there for like every aspect of our journey too. Mm-hmm. And our first transfer was supposed to be Easter. And he was like, that's fine. I'll come in, like willing to come in on Easter for us and decided to do two because he, they basically long and short due to the grade, like she's either going to, the boy was better graded, And the girl, and they're basically like, she's either going to implant or she's not. And the conversations that we had about twins was, okay, we do live 120 miles from a NICU and all the things. And I was just like, yeah, that's fine. Like, Mm -hmm. it's okay. I'm willing to take that risk. I'm confident in this. And so we actually moved forward April 2017 our first transfer. It was canceled. And here comes like another chapter to a book I feel because as you know Perfect. I had to travel. So in 1 week's time, oh I drove 1200 miles because I had to go to multiple different labs because of ultrasound errors. Like I they'd get sent to my clinic and they were like, "Tara, we don't agree with the reading, but we have to go with it." And then the lab work was messed up. You know, my estrogen was like a hair off from being, you know, to canceling it. Even the second round Transfer number two after that cycle was canceled. When we went at it again, mm-hmm. I had to travel to two different clinics again because he was convinced it was like a machine error or something like that. Yeah. And so canceled, you know, that transfer now because of um, we did have, you know, you have to think about, too, like airline tickets and all that stuff that was on the line. Right. We had a deal where we could, you know, get the money back or whatever. We paid more, did that whole thing. I kept mine and ended up going on a ski trip with my cousin. And so I kept my ticket, um, went skiing with my cousin and just took that time to just take time for me, do something I love that I hadn't been able to do for two years at that point. Like we went once or twice a year as a family, since I've been three years old. And this was the first time I had been in a situation where I couldn't go was going through treatment Mm -hmm. cost travel, you know, all the things and reasons why you put off things you love. And so our first FET was canceled and I did that. And it was so refreshing. And it was like, you sit there and you're like, who was I? Who am I? What is going on? Like, right. Where did
0: I go? So, yeah.
1: Where did I go? Caught up in the hustle and bustle. And like you said, face down. Let's do this. What do I got to do? Go, 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 go. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. And so came back from that. I actually fought like, this is where I think I like became my own advocate hardcore once again, but I was so mad about what had happened with my ultrasounds in that cycle that I actually fought the facility because there's also price gaps and gouging. I don't know if that's the right term for it, but like Mm -hmm. they charge $300 $300 more than the facility next door to them. They're the same bubble or same facility at, you know yeah. have two hospitals in the state. Huge price difference. And once again, $200 difference from if I drive the other direction mm-hmm. 200 miles. Different ultrasound prices.
0: Yeah. That's one thing I didn't know is that you don't have to necessarily go with the lab or the pharmacy or you know the the technician that your clinic recommends, like you can make a choice and go somewhere else. So it's another thing just to tell people listening to like, do some research and see if there might be a cheaper pharmacy or a, you know, a cheaper clinic that does testing or a cheaper lab that does testing rather.
1: Yes. hundred percent. I believe in reproductive medicine, you need to find ultrasounds, ultrasound techs, facilities, clinics, whatever it may be that does uteruses Often, <laughs> like, right to completely. read that lining. So to have the have my clinic, like I said, because that's just me. I sent the images down the second I put. The, I made mean, put them on a disc right after that. Sent it to the clinic. Was waiting for the final call to cancel it or go forward with it. And they go, Tara. We agree your lining looks good to us, but we cannot override that radiologist read. Was devastating, and so mm-hmm. from there on out. I drove the opposite direction, more miles to get a better read at a clinic that I knew did this day after day, hour after hour. And Mm -hmm. that was what they did all the time. Right. So we moved into, you know, it went on the ski trip, did all of that and moved in May 2017, did our, you know, finally was able to do our transfer. I added acupuncture affirmations, really worked on mindset at that point, was introduced to mindset techniques and things. And transferred our only two embryos. And we had our first ultrasound confirming that one baby, you know, had, had implanted. And I think that was an emotional time as well. Cause I was grieving the loss of an embryo. It's such a hard thing to excited and grieve at the same time and not, you know, having that fine line of excitement and fear going on.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's and one of the really complicated things, right. Is like, you've one of them is, is sticking. One is not like, it's heartbreaking, but you're happy, but you're guarding your heart and you're sad. It's like all the feelings.
1: A hundred percent. And you know, then move into pregnancy after all of that. And it's like, I don't know if I was excited. And then when I did get excited at 32 weeks, Oh, here, you're going to have a bleed. I experienced it. I woke up one morning and just blood gushing Got life flighted to my OB, 120 miles away. Still get triggered when I hear a helicopter, you know, to this day. I bet. Um, Thankfully, everything was fine. And we continued to 39 weeks. Ended up with an emergency C-section. But it's just one of those things where I've created this whole, like, you know, when I talk to people and I'm like, it's okay to not be excited after infertility. And then when you're pregnant, there's so many emotions attached to pregnancy after infertility.
0: Yeah, we talk a lot about that in infertility rally too now because a lot of our members have become pregnant and we know that the anxiety doesn't end there. It's you know, in in many cases it just takes on a totally different form.
1: So strangely enough and maybe this isn't so strange because I feel like many could relate to this. I was not excited. I was scared. I, I take that back. I was excited for like an hour after the phone call. and then I felt like fear crept back into my life because it was obviously very early. You have to schedule the ultrasound, you have to keep checking your betas. I also was told early on from my reproductive doctor that they were going to be doing ultrasounds from 12 weeks on because it questioned like my cervical competence interesting term but they had questioned that with me so i already knew going into this pregnancy that there was going to be a lot of monitoring and keep in mind once again i live 120 miles one way to my ob so that's a lot of extra and it was winter time and winter in north dakota need i say more so there was just a lot of extra added things on top of oh we're pregnant yay And so I moved into those 12 weeks, everything was going well. I still was not excited. I was thinking, I believe it wasn't until 37 weeks of pregnancy where I I actually got excited. And that's because at 32 weeks, I experienced a bleed. I woke up one morning. I was supposed to be on call at 7 a.m. I, as a nurse practitioner, I do ER coverage, hospital coverage, and it was about 7.15. I can like picture this to the day where I was at. And I woke up to go bathroom and I heard, you know, like sounded like water pouring into the toilet, but I wasn't peeing. And I looked down and the toilet was just, there was tons of blood in there. And I was sitting on the toilet and I was trying to triage myself. We'll call like, what do I do? Who do I call? Like, what is, oh my gosh, what is going on? Like, what do I, I'm supposed to be on call in 45 minutes. And I'm bleeding. Like, what do I do? So I actually called a provider I work with first before my doctor to see if she could take call coverage. Thankfully she did. It was the week of Thanksgiving. It was like two days before Thanksgiving. And then I called my doctor all while sitting on the toilet sill. And she's like, you need to get to town right now. So she's like, you know, are you feeling okay. You're dizzy. Is your husband there? And he had left for work and he works 30 miles away. And so I was home alone at this. And so I was like, okay, hung up the phone. with her. I'm like, I got to get to Bismarck, but I'm like bleeding. Like, what do I do? And so it was just very, I don't remember much, to be honest with you. Like I remember grabbing a towel. I think I grabbed my retainers. Yes. I'm that cheesy person who is very adamant about wearing my retainer every night. I vividly remember grabbing that a towel to sit on in the car and my cell phone. And I think that was all I, I grabbed. And I'm driving, and she's like, and my OB calls back and she's like, I'm sending a helicopter. And I was like, No, like I'm driving. I got this. I'd kind of like, you know, okay, got to do this, gotta do that. She's like, I am sending a helicopter. Where are you at? And I was like, Well, I'm almost to the town where my husband works at. She's like, I'm sending a helicopter there. And I know from my daily job how long a helicopter takes to get dispatched in there. And I know how long it takes me to drive there. And so I kind of argued with her. And I was like, I know I can get there faster. And she's like, Tara, this isn't about you. This is about this baby at this point. Like, I need to know that that baby is okay. Please just go to the ER. I'm sending a helicopter. I listened. And so if you remember from the beginning of my story, there was a gentleman, a doctor who filled in for us at our, at the clinic where I work at. And he was the first person professionally that I had to share with that I was going through infertility. And he said, don't worry. I understand my daughter went through this. He actually fills in at the hospital in the community where my husband works. And he was working that day when I went there with my bleed. And so I remember telling him and trying to convince him too, like, Dr. O, oh, like, let's just get an ambulance. Like, I know we can make it faster. They haven't even dispatched the helicopter yet. And he's like, okay, let's do that. And so We were going to do that. And then as they called dispatch for helicopter, they were ready in flight. Thankfully, I just, it's a very long, it it can, it can take a process to get a helicopter out here. Just put it that way. (laughs) And so I was trying to take care of my own healthcare, even in that moment. And so as a healthcare provider, it is so hard to turn that off and to let others take care of you. And even if you aren't a healthcare provider and you've been through so many things, you become the primary navigator and triage and lead person in your healthcare because you've had to learn how to do that. You've had to like take over your healthcare more than many other people that receive other diagnoses or diseases. Like you have had to take the ship and the control of your, of your healthcare. And it just breaks my heart. But nonetheless, I get in the helicopter I am horrified the whole time just because I don't like flying in general, but I had a great, great team, a great staff. Everything was fine. The bleed slowed down eventually within a few hours. By the time I got to ultrasound, they, they just, they couldn't even really find anything. What they said it was, was abrupted placenta basically my placenta detaching a little bit and causing the bleed. I stayed in the hospital for one night was ready to go home and I started to spot again, like bright red spotting. So Back in the hospital, I went for two more days and ended up having, I I convinced my OB to not make me stay in the hospital the whole time as things were looking good, but I would stay in, in the town where she was located, which is two hours from where I live, from our home. So I was able to go home on a day trip here and there to get my belongings and it was winter once again. So that was a big issue. She's like, you know, you have to watch the weather. And I said, I'll watch it better than the weatherman. And um, at, after four weeks of staying, I was able to return home. And uh, two weeks later, my my water broke. Um, in my head, I was going to do this natural pregnancy. I had listened to all these podcasts because I was like, that's it. One thing's going to go right for me. I'm doing this how I want to do it it ended in an emergency C-section. So that did not pan out as expected either. I was like, okay, then I'm going to do breastfeeding. You know, I'm going to make this work. And that was successful for me. I mean, I had thrush and some other things went wrong and all the things that could go wrong. But I did, I was able to stick with that. I was able to have some control. I just feel like I never was able to gain control or excitement. Um, I remember as my belly grew, I was able to... Be like, okay, this is Maril, and I'm I'm out of the first trimester, and I had that 20 week ultrasound, and I felt the load lesson. But to honestly say, I was truly excited. I mean, I didn't get to do my nursery because that was I was thankful I got a baby shower. I didn't get to do the nursery because I was away during that time. So my husband put it together, and it was awesome and amazing. But I missed out on that, and it was just like one thing after another. I felt kept coming at me, yeah. And so.
0: Sorry to just, I was just going to say you, you and I have talked about this before, and I feel like your thoughts about the, just the anxiety of pregnancy after loss is so the way that you describe it is so relatable. So tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Yes. So you're coming out pregnancy after infertility is a whole subcategory. Like we've talked about before, Allie, it's like, you're coming out of a very traumatic time. I mean, infertility is trauma. There is actual mental impact that happens on you. So it is 100% normal to not be excited and overjoyed. And it also, let's reassure you, is normal for you if you are excited and you finally can enjoy the moment. Whatever way or bubble or section you fit into, it is normal because you are not going to be like the natural woman, the average woman who has natural conception. And I feel your OB should understand that. They should treat you differently. Their staff should be more receptive to your emails and your questions and have more patience with you and not put you in the same pregnancy category as those who conceive naturally or those who do not experience a loss, um, multiple losses before becoming pregnant. You deserve to have a provider who gives you that extra attention That The extra ultrasound when you're nervous, the extra HCG when you're nervous, the extra progesterone check because you're nervous, you deserve a provider who will care for you with that. I'd love to hear about the work that you're doing now,
0: Tara, and just like how you, you know, have made what you went through into your passion and how you're helping people.
1: Yes. So I vividly remember six weeks after our son was born, I was sitting in the rocking chair holding him and it hit me like what did we just go through we what from financial to insurance not covering this to the whole thing like came to fruition and i was like this is wrong this is not right During our, what I call a timeout of treatment, when we failed our IUIs before transitioning into IVF, I did a month-long health policy fellowship with the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. I spent one month in Washington, D.C. learning about health policy for nurse practitioners, but overall health policy experience. And it hit me that why, why can I not do something locally for infertility in North Dakota? So my journey of turning my hurt into hope with others, was as a constituent bringing forward legislation in North Dakota in 2019 to increase access to insurance coverage for infertility and fertility preservation. The bill failed, but it got a lot of traction. It was the first time I feel like in the state of North Dakota, infertility was talked about in the media the way that it was. Uh, It was the first time discussion and insurance was brought to the table to openly talk about this. From that, I realized, I was like, okay, well, there's got to be some organizations here to help. And there was no organizations, no nonprofits supporting necessarily those directly here in North Dakota. And so I founded the first nonprofit and only nonprofit in North Dakota called Everlasting Hope. And it was to raise awareness on infertility, but support those going through it with support oh, great. groups. Yeah. With We do grants to help offset medical expenses. We do care packages. We've really grown. We've grown into South Dakota over the last year. And it's just been, I've made it what I wish I would have had from support and connections and community, as well as raising awareness to the public on infertility. And then in the last year, I have created a medical program, I guess you could call it a a coaching program, and then a telemedicine, a local telemedicine and three-state business where I provide services and support for those going through infertility. So you can live anywhere with my coaching programs in the entire world and receive what I feel you need to properly move through the diagnosis of infertility along with receiving support. And then locally in three states as of now, a telemedicine business that does provide services for infertility, but also women's health care and really just teaching women about PCOS, endometriosis, and just all the things, diving in miscarriage to really provide a multidisciplinary team approach to women's health care. And so I just feel that. I can, I I think of the terror that I was before sharing my story and how many are still there and just know that it's okay if you're not in a position to share, but to just lean into those of us know that we're here to support you. No matter what stage of conception you're in or loss. grieving is so normal and needed and necessary and that there's a whole community here to support you.
0: thank you so much for listening guys thank you tara for that amazing story we're so glad that you're doing well i love that you have committed to helping people who have come after you and that's one of the bonds that we have you know we have that same mission too here and at fertility rally so guys if you want a free coaching session with tara Head over to my Instagram at Stories, and you can find out all the details to enter to win. Also, if you are going through this and you feel alone, please check out Fertility Rally. We have so much stuff on our website. We also offer a membership monthly or annually. We open up again on December 1st, but if you want any details in the meantime, you can always reach out to me. So thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. And I will talk to you guys next time.